Welcome back to Rinkwise, everyone. We are New England's premier hockey podcast produced by the New England Hockey Journal. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. Joined again in studio, back again, Evan Miranovsky. Evan, welcome back. I am happy to be here, Stephanie. How are you? How is uh, the coaching world, the college coaching world? Uh, how, how's everything been with you? It's going great. Thank you for asking. It's It's very busy, but everything's going great and well underway with a really good hockey season so far. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great to see that. And uh, I have yet to get out to a Merrimack women's game. I want to get to one. Four, six, and one, though. That's pretty good. That's not bad, right? That's that's kind of where you'd want to be, I would assume, for, for your group, right? Actually, it's a really good start for the for the program. And obviously a huge win against Northeastern a couple weeks ago. And You were uh, so excited you texted me about it. <laughs> really, really good quality opponents, right? So on the women's side this year, Northeastern being a top team in BC and UVM, like last week, we went three to two overtime. We ended up losing, but really good quality game. So, so it's really exciting so far. Really good start, I think, for the team. So we yeah. have Boston University this weekend. So should be two great games. That's awesome. Good for you guys. And it's all t- it's all because of you. That that's why I, that's what I think. That's the reason for your success early. Is all thanks to you. But very back- nice of you. But yeah, yeah t- team effort for sure. Dude, all the way. I'm, too, I'm I'm a little biased. I guess I'm biased on this. <laughs> Anyways, boys prep. It's that time. Steph, wasn't it just yesterday we were previewing last season? It really seemed like that. Yeah. And it's November the 2nd right now. So which means another full prep school hockey season is just around the corner. Literally. Right. We are gearing up and it is it is just moments away. I feel like from starting up again. Yeah, it is. And and I was talking to a coach recently regarding neck guards and he mentioned, oh, the season starts about like a week and a half, two weeks away. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah, it does. But I think I've been in the fall hockey groove since late August and, and now you got boys prep coming and girls prep season, which would be a separate episode. And, and then you have high school, the, the publics and the, and the private schools. So yeah, we're back in it. This is the, this is, I always say to my friends, this is our busy season. It's just, it's, it, it, it's unlike anything else, but I love it. It's like, a, it's just a sprint. It's a three month sprint. And in the boys prep world, I think it's going to be an interesting season to say the least. Absolutely is. We have some really great topics to get into with the boys prep scene. And I know you just mentioned with the, the neck guard and obviously very, very unfortunate what happened with the Connecticut, the player down in Connecticut, of course, who had a really bad accident and why the neck guard topic is, is so prevalent now. And that's probably a great discussion for us at some point, whether that should be implemented full time for, for young players or not. Don't you think, Evan? Yeah, so it's interesting. I So we're recording this, as you said, November 2nd. On Wednesday or Tuesday, Craig Badger, the NEPSAC president and head coach at Frederick Gunn, sent out an email to all coaches asking if to vote on a mandate for net guards. And there was there was support. There was overwhelming yeah. support. And he said that it might not be this year due to supply chain issues, sure. due to implementing it across every team. But the goal is to get the wheels turning this year and next season, the 24. 25 season bring those in so we have a story coming out on that like right after we stop recording this so it'll be out by the time you great listeners are listening to this but i i think it's i think it's the right thing i do and i don't think it's reactionary obviously what happened with it to adam johnson over in england was horrible i think Stephanie, you've seen it in your own career. Equipment has evolved. There were times, obviously, in the 70s and before guys didn't wear helmets, right? Like there was a time when guys didn't wear visors. 
we get used to it. The game changes for the better. I always think like there's this hockey warrior mentality with hockey. And I think it's a good, it's a cool thing to have. But and I, that's sort of the argument against net guards. It's like, oh, it's so, and by the way, we've all been, I, when I was in high school, my mom would tell me, wear a net guard, wear a net guard. I'd be like, mom, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I don't want to put it on. Cause it's, it's just, it hasn't been thought of as cool. But when you see tragedies like what happened in Connecticut happened two years ago and you see what happened in England, why would you not wear a neck guard? Now as an adult, I'm like, equipment should change for the better. It doesn't impact the sport at all. It's a little annoying at first. If I'm Bauer and True and all these hockey companies, I would be sitting at a table right now with all my best designers putting together a comfortable neck guard uh, that's safe. Because I think you're going to – I mean, you're seeing it, Steph. You probably see it at the youth levels, right? Like a lot more kids are wearing them. Um, and my guess is you're going to see more and more. I mean, you, you're seeing more at the NHL level, the AHL level, and uh, I think you're going to see more at the high school level. Do you see a lot at the youth level? I would assume so. Well, I think after another – very tragic accident. I think we'll certainly see a big uptick tick on that. But I think three three thoughts and three points I have on that. Number one, it actually kind of surprised me here that neck guards weren't mandatory. So I don't know whether people know or not, but in Canada it is. Mm-hmm. So when you grow up in the Canadian hockey system, neck guards are a mandatory piece of equipment. So it's just a, it's a normal thing in in hockey Canada. But the second point being, just like I think any other piece of equipment you're going to get used to just wearing it after a while, yeah. right? Like once you, once you start skating and and playing the game or practice, you, you don't, you're not really thinking of it, right? Just like all the other pieces of equipment that you have on my thought. But I think third. I mean, also before you get to the third point, think about cages, right? Cages are in front of your face with lines. You don't notice them as you play, right? Like unless you actively think, oh, there's a cage in front of my eyes. You don't think of those things. You get used to it. So I completely agree on that second point. That's right. Yeah. You just, you just get acclimated to it and you, you really just don't even think about it after a while. You just start playing and that's, that's it. But I think the third point, just if for something that's for such a small piece of equipment that can basically prevent such a horrific accident from happen and happening and mind you, a skate to the neck isn't an everyday occurrence. Right. But it, it almost reminds me a little bit of the analogy of wearing your seatbelt when you're driving a car. You don't get into a car accident every single time that you're behind the wheel. But it's been statistically proven that wearing a seatbelt will drastically uh, limit your your chance of getting into a really something awful happening. Right. If should you ever get into a car accident. So I think it's just if we have this data in front of us that it can help prevent such a tragic accident. To me, it's just it's a small Easy decision, and it's such a small thing that can prevent a really, really bad tragedy from happening again down the road. 100%. And I also, it's just, it's not an expensive piece of equipment. Now, the one tough part is, I think right now you're going to see a lot of people ordering them, wanting to go to their local Pure Hockey or Hockey Monkey or wherever, looking to get one, right? And well, my guess is they they might not be in full stock. You'll be looking on Amazon for them, and they're going to take a while to send. So I get that. I get the element of it's going to take a little bit. I think even the the English league that this tragedy took place in over the weekend, they're mandating neck guards starting January 1st because supply chain issues. They can't get them all neck guards before January 1. So I understand that element of it, but when I've talked to a lot of prep coaches in the last couple of days and they've all kind of said the same thing. Why not? Like it doesn't, it doesn't, 
prohibit kids from doing anything. You can still lay out and block a shot. You can still go into the corner with a bigger guy and take him on for a loose puck. And I would say it makes you feel safer, which probably makes you feel more confident, right? Like, Stephanie, even I was watching Twitter this morning, and the Anaheim Ducks posted Radko Gudis had threw a huge hit on Clayton Keller. And it was kind of an awkward hit, but it was a big hit. And Gudis, and, and Keller kind of goes to the ice, and Gudis' skates are within, like, a foot of his head. Right. Like now, a week ago, I wouldn't have even thought about it. But now we notice those things because of that gruesome, horrible, horrific video. And I think it's just kind of opened eyes on that subject. I also think a lot of players, obviously, this happens in very rarely this happens. But I think the fact that it's just in people's heads, it's hard to take out. Right. It's hard to go out there and say, oh, I'm going to go out there without a neck guard after seeing that video. And I get it. Everybody thinks that they are, that they're immune. It would never happen to them, but you don't know. So yeah, I agree with the decision to mandate neck guards. And and I think just to put things into perspective, really, I mean, on the, your, your skates, your, your blades, it's basically like wearing two knives on your feet. And again, just to put in perspective, I was playing men's league a few weeks ago and taking my skates off and, Silly mistake. I was rushing. And when I went to clean off the snow with my hand, not to get gruesome, like I just was silly and I went too fast. And I mean, I completely sliced my hand. Yeah. Right? And so it's Eight just like, I would, I would say they're, they're sharper than the knives when and it's, yeah. so it's, it's a kind of a dangerous thing. So just to put things into perspective, like that's what we have on the bottom of our feet when we're, we're playing ice hockey. Yeah, and I think people forget that. And again, I I don't want to say like I've always been for neck guards. I mean, everyone has – neck guards have always been sort of looked down upon for years, right? Like they are annoying. They crunch up. You get chirped for wearing one. Like that's the thing. I, I don't want to act like I've been pro neck guard since 2006. But after seeing the video over the weekend, it's like, well, maybe that stigma needs to go away. Maybe – this does need, this is the next thing in equipment. I mean, there are wrist guards that right. prevent from, I, in high school, there was a kid whose wrist got stepped on and hit a, hit an artery. There, there's Achilles guards that you can wear, I guess, on the bottom of your, near your Achilles to prevent it from getting sliced. There's a lot of little things you can do. And I think if it makes the game safer, why not? It's yeah, not like wrapping right. kids in bubble wrap and they're, it's slowing them down. It's just a piece right. on your neck. It, it, and I, and as you said, like I was talking to Brian Finney from Belmont Hill and he was saying how when he was in Sweden playing, he had to wear one. It was mandated there in the late two right. thousands. And he's like, after a little while, I never noticed it. You, you would right. never, it's just a piece of equipment. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. I think it, yep. I think it's going to, it's the right move to mandate and yeah, I'm very, yep. by the way, unfortunate, tra- horrible tragedy. It, uh, it, weekend, it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so definitely a, a very interesting discussion point for future, future episodes. Absolutely. For sure. Curious to see how it evolves. Getting back to our boys prep preview and topic. So really exciting season on deck again. And Evan, what are some of your general thoughts leading into this season? Yeah, it's I you're 100% right. It's going to be an exciting season. Before we get into best teams and kind of best forwards and guys to watch, I think one of my and this is increasingly happening more and more prep is your top talent 
a lot of it is leaving before senior year. You saw okay. like Resendez go to the USHL and Drew De La Sala from Brunswick go to the USHL. Ryan Shaw, Richard Gallant goes to the program. I think in some ways we'll get to him in a bit, but Teddy Mutrin decided to stay at St. Seb's, which I think is a really good thing for prep. I think it'll work out for his career. By the way, I don't fault anyone for leaving early. Resendez, De La Sala, Ryan Shaw, Alex Bales, Thatcher Bernstein, those guys are ready for junior hockey. They are at the age where they've done their time in prep. I think they've sort of not peaked at prep, but they have given their best. And I think for a lot of those guys, the next step, logical step to improve their game is juniors. It's just unfortunate to see, right? Like it would be cool if those guys were all still here. It would make the league a lot better and it'd be cool to watch those guys play in this region again. And then, so that kind of leads to my second general thought, which is prep is the top, top, top end prospects are younger. When I think you're seeing like Richard Gallant lit the world on fire his freshman year and kind of followed it up with averaging almost two points per game his sophomore year. Teddy Mutrin is another one, right? Like impact freshman, really good last year. Mike, I think he has a shot for player of the year this year. He's another one. There are other younger players that, you know, and you're going to see guys this year, like Teddy's younger brother, Casey, which we'll get to in a bit. We'll get to in a bit. Like he, he's another. So I think the top high-end prospects are going to be younger. I, I think in terms of like, NHL draft candidates. There's a couple. There's no like first or second or third round picks, but there are guys in prep that will definitely garner NHL eyes. But in terms of the top young prospects, I think this, I think prep has become, there's a lot of high end younger players before they go off to juniors or the program. So those are kind of my general thoughts. I think in terms of parity, I think. A lot of the powerhouses are still going to be really good, but I also think you do have some other teams who are going to be competing for Elite Eight contention that maybe weren't last year. And I think obviously the ISL is always strong. I'm curious, like in the Housatonic, you know, what that's a really tough schedule, right? You got Avon down there, you've got Salisbury and, and Kent. And that that's sort of a difficult thing to deal with. Um, and then obviously you, you've got Kimball Union and Holderness up in New Hampshire. So I, I think the parity is very good. So I think it's it's going to be very good. And I, I don't think there's a clear. I don't think there's any team that we're going to say they are the they are they're going to win the Elite Eight. No problem. There's no team sure. like that. I think there's a lot sure. of parity. kind of kind of kind of unlike last year, just a little bit where I think Cushing men we're entering the season as just really the team, right? Where this year it might be a little bit more evened out and not a clear front runner. But I think Evan, wanting wanting to get back to uh, one of the first things you mentioned, and I think that this is maybe a larger topic that we can maybe get into at some point, maybe not all on this episode, but the prep league itself. So a lot of the high-end talent maybe leaving when they get older, the junior, senior year to – go to juniors or whatnot. I mean, do you think the league is evolving? Like, why do you think that's happening? Well, I think it's happening because I've talked to like Andrew Will and and Mike Kennedy were the last two uh, guests on this show and they kind of touched on it a bit. I think it used to be with the USHL, it was Midwestern kids. Kids out there would play at the USHL and uh, it would kind of grow from that. Now it's evolved into getting kids from the Northeast 
where it used to be prep. I mean, it used to be you go right from prep to college and you were good. Right. Uh, You don't see that as much anymore. Mick Frechette at BU, who was at Dexter last year, did that. But, you know, most kids do not do that. I think part of the reason is, A, the growth of those junior – of like the USHL and the BCHL – Mainly the USHL. I think that's a huge drawing point and getting kids ready, prepared for college. I think it's, it's a, it's an older league there. I think you have the best kids from around the country and even the world. Whereas prep, it's a lot of the best kids from the region as well as some other really good players from around the country. Kids come from everywhere to play prep here. I don't want to misconstrue that. There's a lot of kids from Georgia, kids, kids from California. There are kids from everywhere who play prep, but I think there's more at the at the junior level. It's a longer schedule. And I think the other thing is it's hockey-centric. When you're in the USHL, your job is hockey. When you're at a prep school, hockey's a big thing. Sure. But it's not everything. And yeah. I, think I think that's I think that's a great point. Yeah, and I think that's it's interesting. Like that's why prep has had such a draw for a lot of families, right? Is you can go to a prep school, get a great education have great experience playing hockey, really evolve as a person and a player. Whereas I think these junior teams, USHL, it's, hey, you're going to go out there and you'll go to school online and do all that stuff, but we're, you're going to practice a lot. You're going to be in the gym a lot. You're going to be playing against potentially better competition in different parts of the country. So right. Right. And you're going to get that, you know, what it, it's kind of like pro hockey in a sense. I talked to a lot of former prep players who are in uh, the USHL last year, and they mentioned that, that it was a job. Sure. And I think that's ha- that's a double-edged sword, right, in my eyes, because on one end, you are getting better, right? And, you, and you're getting prepared for college. But at the other end of it, if you're not ready for it, it can be disastrous to a career, right? You go from being the top-end kid in prep to going out to, to, U- to the USHL and just sort of not finding your footing, right? You're in a... Right. You're in a Cedar Rapids or a Sioux City or a, a Dubuque. You're in a rural Midwestern place. You come from Boston. Like, you know what I mean? I think that's a big change for kids. And some kids adjust to it and there fits them like a glove. And some have a really tough time with it. There's no real sure. way to tell. And yeah. so I think it, it goes back to that and the prep schedule. I think the schedule starts end of November, ends early March. Obviously, fall hockey is evolving into sort of an extension of the prep season in some ways. You have the teams like the Central Mass Penguins. You have teams uh, like Kimball Union is doing that right now. You have the PPP, uh, like with Portsmouth Abbey in those schools, where they're playing together in the fall on like a separate team. But it's really just that team from September through November and then starting up the real prep season December through through early March. So I think that's why I think the USHL has become such a draw for your higher end kids. They get picked early in the phase one draft and those 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 junior teams kind of want to get those kids in as soon as they can. And I think it can be hit or miss, as I said, for some kids. But but yeah, I think it's unfortunate for prep. But again, you've seen it's definitely the pendulum swings. You do have like Sean Cohane last year. Sure uh, does. Yeah, sure stuck does. Stuck around for a senior year at Dexter. And like he's a kid who easily could have went junior uh, juniors. Teddy Mutrin's another one this year. Like tried out for the national team, didn't make it, but picked early by the Chicago Steel. Easily could have went out there uh, for this season, but wanted another year of development at St. Seb's and to play with his brother. So I think that's where 
it is a choice. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for families. I am not the one to sit there and say, your son should play juniors this year. Your son should play prep. I think it's really up to them. It, and it's different strokes for different folks on, on that stuff. Well, it's, I think it's, it is interesting for sure, because I think we're starting to see the prep league, I think, evolve a little bit, obviously not only on the boys' side, but on the girls' side as well. And sometimes generally with with girls' hockey, whatever happens on the boys' side will eventually happen on the girls' side, but might be much later. But I, I do think we're starting to see changes. And it's it's for a whole lot of reasons. Like, I think it's, again, this is a very interesting topic I think we can cover on a whole show at some point. But the the prep model is obvious. It's a great model for sure. And it's, you get a great education and it's, it really kind of tailors, I think, towards a, a well-rounded student athlete. But what I find some of the reason that people aren't doing it as much if they choose not to, just like everything else, there's more options these days, right? So I think like the prevalence of academy type models, right, where you can get more training. And so let's say, for example, a prep, you're making a decision between a prep school or another model. Like if you're not necessarily wanting to have to play three different sports or four different sports, then you, you, you may choose a different option than, than prep. And let's say your division one prospect, for example, given that it is so competitive now on on the men and the women's side, right? Like it's both, both sides are so competitive. Sometimes you, you might not be getting the same amount of, or enough training, right. That you may require to get yourself ready for that next level. And I, I think Evan, as I mentioned to you before, my eyes have been opened a little bit more now back at the division one level. And I think the recruiting process, like when we look across North America, for example, some of those really elite level type programs in Canada kind of scattered all over the country. And they, they are like, they're training four or five days a week off ice and on the ice. And that's hard to compete with, right? Like if you're only on the ice, much more limited than that, right? Like it's just really hard to compete with that. It is. And I think parents and family, right? Like you see it when you probably saw it with your Austin prep team, your Islanders team. And I think it's an interesting thing around that seventh, eighth grade year. Families and players are all kind of competitive, but they don't, they all want to get to the next level. They're not sure how one kill start training in the summer with a personal trainer and all the other kids and families go, Oh shoot. Our, our kids should be doing that too. And then they start to, and it's a domino effect, right? And I think you're seeing now with these academies popping up with junior teams being as competitive as they are, families going, Oh shoot, you know, maybe they do need to train all the time and things like that. Now I'm curious what the long term impact is because I do think going out to juniors at 15, 16, 17 years old, you are missing things that you, you, you wouldn't get out there that you would get at a prep school or a high school, right? Like, and that's why you see so many academies coming out and saying, we have a brick and mortar school. These kids are going to go to prom and they're going to meet other people from other sports. The question for prep is how can it evolve, right? And I think the tough part for prep hockey is there's prep soccer, there's prep football, there's prep lacrosse, there's prep basketball, there's prep baseball, and you have to figure out a way for hockey to coexist potentially outside of just the winter season with also baseball and soccer and field hockey and lacrosse. And that's a hard thing. And I think some of the fear is that if a school goes to October to 
end of March, early April hockey schedule, how's that going to impact the basketball team or the baseball team or the lacrosse team or all these teams? And are schools going to be afraid to play those teams because they're kind of operating on their own? So I think there is that fear. The question is how you evolve from that. The fall hockey model seems to be working with that, right? Like having, as I mentioned, the Kimball unions of the world, the Cushings of the world, basically having their own team in the fall. It's an, it's sort of an extension of that prep season for kids who want to play that sport. There are lots of kids in prep who are great soccer players. Prep, right. prep hockey, I'm talking about good soccer players, right? Like you see, let, you don't really see many football players, but there are some. So those guys do that thing while the others play hockey in the fall. It's not every day, like a junior or an academy team, but it, it is happening. So I, I think that is kind of the evolution of prep and where it has to go. Some feel that it's in a perfect spot and that's fine. But yeah, we'll see what happens. It's, I think, Stephanie, we could go on about this for a long time. <laughs> Honestly, we, we I think could, it's going yeah, to really evolve. Very interesting, indeed. Very interesting. And I think we'll just leave it at this. Nothing ever stays the same. No, it doesn't. For sure. It's always, always changing. But to be continued. So why don't we get into, you already mentioned a few of them, but what we project to be some of the top teams entering the men's field, the men's prep field this year. And as you mentioned, it looks like a much more even playing field, right? There's not a front runner, maybe like we've had in past. Yeah. So I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So I think the number one team in prep and they are our cover feature. They we're doing a photo shoot with them next week. I've talked to a lot of them is St. Sebastian's mm. St. Sebastian's graduated zero people. Oh, wow. Nobody graduated. They, they had no seniors on last year's team. I've and, ever seen that before. A yeah. team have zero seniors ever. Incredible. So they have yeah. like 15 this year and they are stacked up front. They are completely stacked. Obviously, Teddy Mutrin came back. Ben Merrill, I think one of the biggest breakout stars of the last 12 months, made a USHL team, committed to Harvard, grew a lot. I think he's 6'4", 6'5". He moves well, like really big candidate to have a huge season this year. He returned to St. Sebastian's. Then you have the senior forwards. You guys like Matt Cataldo, Isaac Mitchell, Colin Gorman. I'm definitely forgetting some. Like, so they're stacked up front. I mean, that, that that's six or seven players. That's two lines of top end scorers who would be number one and two forwards on every other team. And then you have guys like Ryan Chudzinski, a younger player who's had a really good spring, summer, and fall, who's going to step into a role most likely and hopefully get some some time. You have Casey Mutrin, Teddy's brother, who's really good, who we'll kind of get to in a second. I mean, he's an, I think he's probably the only sure NTDP evaluation camp candidate in prep. So that's another. And then on D, you have like Jack Harney, six foot nine, really good guy in his own zone. Charlie Leverone, another really strong player. Aiden Connors, good, solid shutdown defensemen who are responsible in their own end, who can kind of let the forwards cook up front, just get the puck to them. Yeah. And Russo and Nett, who's a, who's a really strong uh, senior goalie. So like to me, the only thing holding them back is their history. They have not won anything in 21 years. They have not put up a banner since 2002. As good as those teams have been, yeah. they've, they've never really won anything in the in the last 20 years. So they are motivated like hell to be the team that finally does it. They, I, I'm really, I'm, ex I love writing the story because that senior class has a special bond, and they've been together since seventh grade. 
and none of them left. The only one in that senior class to leave was Will Smith. Will Smith was a part of that class. Now, I think it's obvious why Will Smith left national program, number right. four overall pick, like nasty. Now, again, it's unfortunate. I mean, the program's always been there. So he would have been gone 20 years ago. So that has nothing to do with juniors. But yeah, to me, Sebs is the number one team. I think teams that are going to be in the top five, I still kind of have to figure out if a team is two or three or four or five, but the other teams, Cushing is going to be back in it. They lost Resendez, Gardula, Rizzo, Philbrick. They lost Cooper Rottenstrock as well, but credit to Paul Pearl. He can recruit. <laughs> Paul Pearl oh, yeah. has talent, and he's got two NHL draft prospects in Cole Hiles and Luke Gokler, two really good forwards. They both do different things. Hiles is very skill-based. Gokler's a speedster. And then Marco Bilic and Nett, who's another NHL draft prospect, he's 6'3", really, really stylistically strong goalie. Tyler Russo on the back end. You got Emerson Marshall coming back up front. To me, that's a team that's going to be in it again. And again, like you would think a new team would have, you'd start a little slow, but they've been playing together all fall. They also right. have the Hunt twins who are really good. So like they, they've added and they, I would argue they're, they might even be deeper than last season. So wow. okay, that's the thing. Like they're going to be in it. Avon Old Farms lost their three leading scorers. They lost some uh, Stephen Peck in net, but they're still like John Gardner still going to have that team competing. He recruited some strong players like Michael Monroe is going to take another step forward, a main commit. You have a lot of strong players there. Kimball Union, you know, I talked to Tim Whitehead and he was saying how they lost Jackson Kirkostas and Dan Haru, their best forward, and their best goalie, but they're deeper than they were last season. And they were the eight seed in the Elite Eight last year. So with guys like Sam LeDrew and Jack Sadowski and up front and Kyle Murray Smith, then on the back end, Jack McMinn and Andrew Sullivan and and I think Luke Karkner, Luke Klarner, excuse me. They that's a team that they're deep and you and, and Colby Boyce and Nat. So they're gonna be top four. And then I'd add Salisbury to that. We talked to Andrew Will on this show and they added some really strong recruits. I think that's a team that always is in it. I think they're motivated by the fact that they only made the large school tournament last year, which for most teams getting a large school final would be like, hell yeah, what a season. But for, for them, it's elite eight is yeah. the, it's the goal. So I think that's, those are going to be the five teams that are the top five preseason. Again, we saw like Milton Academy last year wasn't even ranked in the top 10 was the number three seed at the end of the year. Belmont Hill is always good. I'm going to throw up two sleeper teams, Stephanie. And I don't know how much like of sleep. I don't know if you can. One is a sleeper. The other was the number four seed in the Elite Eight last year. So I don't know if it's like fully sleeper. But the real sleeper is St. George's. St. George's was supposed to be good last season. Yeah. Fell off in the middle of the season and things just didn't really go well. But I mean, they added some, they, they have new coach and Ali Skelly. Um, they added some real pieces up front to go along with guys like Ryan Staples and, um, Colin Walsh. Um, and then on D, you have Marco Sinertia, Everett Baldwin. Um, I think it's Nathan Walsh. You got Ryder Shea and Nett, main commit top 06 goalie. So to me, like those, that's a sleeper team who I think is going to be in the top 10. And then I'd say Nobles. Nobles lost Thatcher Bernstein in net. Probably the best 06 goalie in prep hockey. Arguably the best 06 goalie in the country. One of the top ones. He was at the Holinka Gretzky Cup this summer. But, you know, again, Nobles has their three leading scorers back. They're all juniors. They all have higher upsides. 
Dennis Davidson, Ethan Cox, and Teddy McCosland. And then they have depth pieces like Nakata and Billy McCosland and who are going to supplement that scoring. Tyler Bloomfield in net has been waiting his turn to be the starting goalie, and he finally is. So, yeah, I think those are kind of my teams that I'm looking at. There are going to be other good ones. Brunswick. Yeah. Is that a cat behind you, Stephanie? A cat. Is that a cat? No. Oh, I thought it was. I'm sorry. No. It looked no, like there was a tail sticking up. There is um, no cat in here. No. Sorry those, to disappoint. I was yeah. For those who are watching on YouTube, I thought that was a cat. I, <laughs> I was excited. I was going to ask it for its opinion on prep hockey. But, well, I think yeah. you're doing a good job. I think you're giving a really good preview right now. Well, so. I, think, I think the cat could, the cat could have added something to it. But, yeah, so I, those are my teams. Brunswick will be in the mix as well. St. Mark's, Holderness is another one. But those are kind of like my top five teams. At the top. Yeah, and some Saint Saint George for sure. That's a sleep. Somebody new, right? But yep. as you said, they have a new coach and picked up some really key pieces. But definitely some some of the usual suspects. We'll call them right back in the top five again. And I think going back to Saint Seb's for a second. I mean, that just to me sounds just like a loaded roster. And what a unique story indeed. Seniors from last year. Everybody's back, and could very well be Evan that that is. You're right. Like that is their mission to get that championship for the first time in 20 some years. Right. So sometimes I find with teams, like they, they literally do make that pact with each other. Right. And that's maybe why nobody left. Right. Like they want to, they know they have the potential there and I've seen it before, like where players might have an opportunity to go somewhere else, but they, they make a team decision. Right. And they stick together and they want to win that championship. What fascinates me with St. Sebastian's is so often you see kids leave schools to go get more opportunity elsewhere. Nolan Flynn's another one up front, by the way. I forgot to mention Sacred Heart Commit. But you see kids leave because they want to. There's a lot of guys in front of them. There's a lot of kids in their class and they're like, I don't want to be a second or third line forward. I want to be first line. And they go to a different prep school and kind of just go off there. I think it's impressive that all these kids had these deep passions for St. Sebastian's. They they right. always wanted to go there. They loved their their classmates and they loved the school and they said, "No, nah, I'm making it work here." And they all have. And again, I go back to like teams with a lot of seniors typically win. But right. every senior wants to win. So last year you want to win. We'll discuss this with the girls prep, we'll discuss this with boys MIAA, girls MIAA, like you always want to win, but it's the team, the Absolutely. most seniors, teams with a lot of seniors typically win because they've been around, they know what it takes. And the more guys you have in that sort of, I've got to make this work scenario. It's a dog, by the way, I can see it now. It, it, the more seniors you have like that, the better you're going to be. So I think that's why Sebs to me is the number one team. I think that, that, that deep desire, that passion, it's hard to replicate, and they've gone through a lot to get that in them, and I think it's going to pay off a lot this year. So, well, And it's just, to your point with the seniors, I mean, it's also just so much experience there, so much, yeah. and that's really irreplaceable at, at times, right? Just having so much experience there versus a team that might be completely loaded with young talent, right? I mean, it's just, it's really hard to replace veterans and so much experience there with all those seniors. 
Exactly. No, I agree. I want to hit on, before we go, I want to hit on a couple things. Some forwards to watch, some defense to watch, some goalies to watch. I'm going to miss some in these. I always, that's why I don't love doing this. So I, I'm going to miss some people. This is just some, some players off the top of my head. We mentioned the St. Seb's guys. Jack Sadowski's one. Uh, we mentioned the Cushion kids. Uh, two St. Mark's forwards, I think, that are going to have a huge impact this year. Andrew Gibbons and Austin Borgard. Uh, Gibbons is committed to Air Force. Really good center. Very responsible. Uh, and someone that I think uh, is going to have a huge impact this year. Borgard's and Austin Borgard's another one. I think arguably the best shot in prep hockey. I'm going to do a bold predictions story before the season starts. And Borgard's going to actually be in it. There's, okay. I have a hot take with him, but I'm going to tease that for a story. So you got to go read it to see what the tea, to see what the hot take is. I think they're both poised to be outstanding players on D. I think Calvin Beard, St. Mark's, Caden Harrington, Holderness, Dylan Hunt, Mil- uh, Milton, Andrew Sullivan, Kimball Union. I think those are kind of the four defense that I'm watching a lot. And then in net, Sam Caulfield, Ryder Shea, Marco Bilich, I think are kind of the three. Again, I'm missing people. I'm missing people, but. There's going to be a lot more about this on the website and there's going to be a lot on boys prep this year. That's great. Yeah. Obviously can't wait to see that. And I know we also mentioned about the potential for a couple other national development program candidates. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, real quick. Uh, Casey Mutrin is my only one. Spencer Thornborough is a very interesting one. He's with, I believe it's governors, really good, big forward, works hard. If he has a really good season, I think he's definitely going to get an invite. It's just a question of whether or not he will. It's his first season in prep. Casey Mutrin was great last year, highly regarded. So I think he will be. Before we go, Stephanie, I want to make a prediction. I want to make my elite tradition here. Of course. This is, this could change, but I'm going to try to stick to this. I'm going to say Sebs over Salisbury in the Elite Eight. Okay. Salisbury claws its way back in like it always does, but I think Sebs is just overpowering as heck, and I think Sebs will emerge victorious. So that's my big prediction for the Elite Eight. Well, again, sticking with tradition, right? We always do this on the previews, right, on the podcast leading into the prep season, and we're usually – Almost there. We usually almost get it every time, Evan. We try, we try our best. We were <laughs> close last year with Cushing. We were very – I think Cushing and Salisbury were the two teams, so I'm picking the, the cover team in Salisbury again. But I think I, I think this is going to be the year that I'm 100% correct. Yeah. Well, we, we certainly can't wait to see that. And I think you might be accurate. I think I'm going to have to agree with your prediction on this one as well. Perfect. I'm <laughs> glad to hear it. Well, Evan, it's as always, it's a pleasure and so much insight and perspective and so much great hockey knowledge. And again, I know the hockey world appreciates this. It's another exciting prep season that we have on deck on the on the men's side. Absolutely. And we're going to have a lot of coverage about boys and girls prep in the coming days, weeks, months, years. So yeah, get excited. It's fun. Excellent. Yes, we'll have the girls coverage coming soon as well. And again, look forward to being back in studio with you in the near future. Same here. And that does it for this edition of RinkWise. Our podcast is produced by David Yaz. Be sure to catch us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Any Hockey Journal. And subscribe with us online at HockeyJournal.com. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. RinkWise is a Siemens Media Production.